Hello and welcome back to another episode of We Need Therapy. Hi! In today's episode, we recap Jordan's 10-day Mardi Gras holiday. And we have a discussion around some of the insecurities that can arise within those environments. As always, please like, leave us a review and subscribe to our channel. Enjoy the show! Alright, it has been, what, 10 days? Think, 14 days since I've last seen you? I think almost two weeks. Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what, today I actually, I had to ring in sick to work today. Did you really? Because I've got this really bad headache and like dizzy spell. And I've been fine for two weeks. And it just so coincides with the day that I'm seeing you again. Of course. I think it was your body just being very excited to see me. Oh, the head spins. Yeah, you just sweep me off my feet, don't you? <laughs> well, I did now that I've been working out at the gym. I'm feeling really fit and strong. So I'm going to give you a dizzy Oh, that's good because you don't look it. <laughs> a dizzy whizzy. I haven't said that word in about 25 years. So <laughs> I can't even remember what that is. It's when you uh, loop your hands around someone and then you you spin in a circle. And is it like a centrifugal force or centripetal? Okay, I'm bored. Let's move on. I I had to pull that out of the physics. You know, I did Centri- centripetal. I think it's centrifugal. But I'm sure anyone who has any knowledge about physics will email in. Uh, no one listening will email in about that. No, probably not. Our listeners are not very smart. <laughs> Dumb shits, I would say. <laughs> What's been going on? Oh, well, apart from not having you in my life, um, pretty boring. Things have been pretty good. I've actually had a lot of meaningful catch ups the last two weeks. So, really? Those people that I've seen the last fortnight, you have a special place in my heart, and I've really enjoyed the time that we've had together. Oh, it's like a backhanded compliment. To it almost me. sounds like a little eulogy, or <laughs> I hope it's not a eulogy. <laughs> so, what have, what have you been doing apart from catching up with your special friends? <laughs> Well, no, in all seriousness, I've, I've had this weird dizzy experience these last few few weeks to Uh-oh. the point where like I've had to yeah not work today because I can't really focus while driving. Have you got a theory on what it is? No idea. I went to the GP today. We did all the screens and nothing really popped up, but she's sending me for bloods tomorrow to, oh, to really? have a look. Yeah. Oh, they think it's quite serious or something. Yeah, I think it's more so because I had that fainting episode last year. I don't remember. Oh, wait, I remember something about this. Mm, I fainted at a friend's engagement party, completely took the limelight away from them. Oh, please. Ended up getting kicked out of the party, but they still invited me to the wedding. I don't believe that to be true. No, I did get kicked out of the party. Wow. (laughs) Um, Is it called a vasovagal when you faint? There's that vagus yeah, yeah. that runs yeah. throughout the body. And sometimes when it gets like overly stimulated, you can faint. I mean, you can faint for lots of reasons, mm. like blood pressure. Yeah, and no, I've been having some wild fluctuations with my blood pressure. Um, having mum and dad as nurses, I stayed at theirs last night and we oh. had a look at just some measurements at intervals and whatnot. So. And what, did, did they have any ideas or they just said go to the doctor? Yeah, we just went to the GP this morning and she was a bit worried by the fluctuations in my blood pressure. This ah. might be the last episode we ever do together, Jordan. Oh, Not hope- to be dramatic. <laughs> Hopefully the last ones have been shit. <laughs> so if you fall on the floor right now, what do I do? Um, don't give me CPR. Do not consent to your mouth and mine. You know, once you're unconscious, consent is like... Give, basically given. Yeah, but not when I say I don't give consent live on air. Yeah, but I'm going to edit this out so <laughs> nobody will know and I'm finally going to kiss you. <laughs> well, I'm going to try really hard to stay stable for the next hour then until Uh-oh. we leave this room. Well, you're going to struggle because I've got some Mardi Gras stories for you and you might be on the floor anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, so you've been at Mardi Gras the last two weeks. I've had my own little Mardi Gras experience. Oh, really? Not what? really. I had a... 
We had a girls' night on Saturday, had a barbecue, swim by the pool, and we watched Cocaine Bear. Oh, I've heard about this. Mm. Is that the bear that accidentally ingested all those bags of coke? Yeah, so it's like a, it's based off a true story. The movie's absolutely bullshit, but <laughs> fuck me, it was one of the funniest things I've ever watched. Really? Like, what would you rate out of 10? Uh, Plot-wise or just like value for money-wise? Just value for money. Oh, hands down, probably one of the best funniest nights I've ever had watching a movie with my friends. Like really? it was so funny. So was it, is it meant to be a comedy or was it just comical? Um, yeah, no, it is a comedy, quite gory as well. It's based off the premise of this true story in the sixties where this pilot crashed a plane full of Coke and I think 120 kilograms. Jesus Christ. That's a lot of Coke. Is it? I, I wouldn't know. I have no idea either. What it, even is cocaine? <laughs> you mean cocoa? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was talking about. Yeah, so uh, these bags of coke dropped into this forest in South America or whatnot, and this bear ingested the cocaine. In real life, the bear died of a heart attack, but mm. in Hollywood, baby, uh oh, bear went on a massive rampage, and it was just—it was honestly so funny. I hundred percent recommend it if you have a dumb sense of humor like I do. Was it like that movie, The Hangover? Like, it just went crazy. It was doing, like, orgies, going to Vegas. Yeah, yeah, but Hangover was, like, it was funny, but it was just, I don't know, even I didn't find Hangover too funny. No, I didn't find it that funny. It almost tried too hard to be funny, whereas this was just stupid funny. Right, like, okay. Great. Well, I'll, um, what's it available on? Streaming services? No, we went to Luna Cinemas in Leadville. Oh, you mean like it's- a, a proper cinema. Oh, wow. So it's, oh, wow. I haven't seen a movie in the cinema for a while. So mm. we'll put that on Treat there. yourself. Yeah. Now that you're single. Maybe next time you go on a date, go see Cocaine Bear. Maybe I'll go on a date with myself. Have you, do you know about self-love and this whole movement of like- Masturbation, yeah. yeah very yeah. well equipped. Well, you've, yeah, for the last 27 years, it's been a staple in your life. So- <laughs> No, but like, there is like a movement of like being comfortable with yourself and being satisfied and content and living in the moment. And I didn't mean to talk about this um, so easily, but I'm actually reading this book at the moment. It's called 10% Happier. Sorry, I'm just having a flashback to when we did that product placement. Oh, you know what? <laughs> this is not product placement. You've actually got a book here. This is not product placement. But if the author wants to contact me, I'm really into your book. But anyway, it's by Dan Harris. It's called 10% Happier. And my mum gave it to me for Christmas about three years ago. You're not much of a reader. You know what? You've shot yourself in the foot there. When I was younger, I read continuously. Mm. Over COVID, I read seven books. And really? in the last few years, I've been reading um, fantasy again. Oh, my God. I didn't know you could read. Well. <laughs> is that a picture book? <laughs> it is, actually. It's kind of like the Where's Wally. But no, so like, you know, when you go on holiday, you kind of look around at the books that you should be reading and yeah. you try and pick something. And I was literally running out the door when I picked this one up and I had a memory of my mum giving it to me years ago and she mentioned it was about meditation and I instantly just switched off because I thought, eek, meditation, boring, passive, not what I'm looking for in my like fast and loose life that I lead. However, I, I really got into it. It's about a news anchor living in New York City. He has a really stressful life. He covers the war in Iraq and um, other really stimulating stories like presidential elections. And it's about him kind of realising that his life is quite unfulfilled and that he's searching for something more like a deeper meaning. And so he eventually discovers Buddhism and is going through um, meditation. And I'm kind of three quarters of the way through, maybe about halfway through. 
And it's just so fascinating. Mm, I mean, I'll just read the byline right now. How I tamed the voice in my head, reduced stress without losing my edge and found self-help that actually works. Yeah. This is so you. It's so corny. But you know what? It talks about the ego being the continuous voice in your head basically since birth. And it talks about how narcissistic it can be, how negative it can be, Mm. how it can predict the worst case scenarios and how you ruminate endlessly on them. And for me, it really hit home because, you know, when you go to the psychologist, they sometimes do that general screening. It's like depression, anxiety, and stress, right? And there's like 50 questions. Yeah, the deaths. Yeah. And each one is has like one third of the questionnaire. Depression, anxiety, low. Like I barely score anything. Stress is very high, like moderate to high. Yeah. And I guess this book kind of touches on that because it talks about how that inner monologue, it basically says that it can be quite like a dickhead voice in your head basically. And one of the things that I find that it does is stress me the fuck out. Interesting. Yeah, so... You know, I mean, I tried some meditation today. Yeah. I did it pretty poorly, but yeah, I I read the couple of pages about kind of what to do. And I just so happened that I was at the beach. I was having like a coffee at Tree Cafe. Mm. It's a very like northern suburbs thing to do. And I walked down to the beach and I gave it a go. Amazing. I'm actually going to a, a sound healing on Friday night if you want to join. Oh, really? I've never done it before. I am getting my hair cut on Friday, but... Oh, for the whole day? <laughs> yeah. Wait, what time's this sound healing? Uh, I think 6pm to... You know what? We can discuss this off air. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, though. Maybe you, are you going to report back next week? Yeah, yeah, I will. I will do. Sounds great. Well, enough about our personal lives. Well, my personal life, anyway. No one really cares about that. Yeah, we did like one episode on your life. Actually, no one cares about yours either. No, that's not true. I've been getting lots of comments online. Oh, comments online. Mostly trolls. (laughs) Half of them are mum and dad, so (laughs) it's really great. Um, No, well, I've been to World Pride for the last two weeks. So that was held in Sydney this year. And it was a huge two-week-long festival. And it was the most amazing experience. And I'm super excited to tell you about it. Yeah, I can see it in your face. You look absolutely exhausted. Yeah, that's true. My whole body is wrecked. But I did a bit of research for this. Mm. In fact, I'd listened to a couple of podcasts and kind of news broadcasts about it. So I just wrote down some of the, I guess, the history about Pride in Australia. So um, the first march was actually in Sydney in 1978. And it was a pretty small demonstration. They walked down Oxford Street to Hyde Park, which is just at the edge of the CBD. And basically everybody got arrested. And the reason the police gave was for them not applying for a permit for the march. But in actual fact, the police were quite brutal by all reports and 30 or 40 people got bashed. Some of them ended Shit. up in the hospital. What year was this? Uh, 1978. Wow. Yeah, so not that long ago. Um, in the end, the charges ended up being dropped and the people, they weren't charged And it went from being like a couple of hundred people to 3,000 people the next year. So, yeah, it's a pretty significant moment and one that was talked about a lot during the World Pride Festival. So are you saying that the origins of Pride itself came from Sydney, from that? Actually, no. They actually happened in New York in 1969. Yeah. A lot of people know about the Stonewall riots and that's when the police in NYC busted a gay nightclub and arrested people. And that triggered five-day-long protest mm. um, between the police and gay men and trans women and gay women around the city. 
Um, the Stonewall riots are really well known. That was the movement in America, but we had our own movement. So not for almost a decade later in Sydney. So, yeah, it's pretty pretty amazing history there. Yeah, I guess when you first come out, you don't realise how rich that history is and how important it is to you. But, yeah, it was very special to be at World Pride. Can you explain that? I mean, I don't really know too much about Mardi Gras or Pride. I've actually heard they were different things. Yeah, that's true. So you probably heard of Mardi Gras. So that's the big kind of rainbow festival. The South American? No, No, Mardi Gras is just in Sydney. I believe it's like originally a religious word, but you have pride all over the world at different cities in different countries at different times. But the Sydney festival is always called Mardi Gras. And it's known really well around the world. I remember when I was in America and Europe, people often ask about Mardi Gras and they talk about Sydney as being like a huge celebration. So Sydney is like an LGBTQI sort of... A plus. Oh, I thought I nailed all of them. Nah, you missed it. You're a homophobe. <laughs> but it's like a, a big city for... Gay people. Yeah, yeah. yeah right? Yeah. yeah. It definitely is. So World Pride happens every three or four years and it's basically like a bumper edition of pride in that city and it's international so everyone from around the world flies over to the city it was originally held in uh, rome in 2000 and it has been happening every three or four years and you have to bid the city has to bid to host it like the olympic games yeah and sydney won the bid three or four years ago it's a very exciting sydney always has pride but every four years there's a mardi gras somewhere in the world Kind of. You got the you basically got the terminology just mixed up. Sydney always has Mardi Gras. Oh yeah. That's always in February, March. Yeah. And this last year it won the bid and hosted World Pride, which is why it was so international. So there's actually th- more than three hundred ticketed events throughout the city over two weeks. They were huge. At one point they closed down the Harbour Bridge and they let fifty thousand people walk over the Harbour Bridge to celebrate inclusion and pride 50,000 people over that bridge exactly and the last time they opened it up to um, pedestrians was in the 2000 olympics wow yeah so pretty special they did a bondi beach party where 12,000 people attended and they also did the parade which i can't find how many people attended but i heard it was rumored to be 500,000 don't shoot me if that's incorrect i can't verify that yeah now With Pride and Mardi Gras, we see a lot of it on social media, a lot of it on the news. It's not just a LGBTQ... IA+. Yeah, you can just say LGBT. I mean, you should say QIA+, but it's very long. (laughs) Okay. Um, It's not just an LGBT event. Is it open to... Yeah, well, it's open to everyone, but it celebrates LGBT people. But one of the things that I quite like about Mardi Gras is that it's not like a circuit festival, which is just for cisgendered gay men basically true you see like a lot of women and trans folk um participating i mean there's children that watch the parade sometimes they're in the parade so it feels a lot more inclusive than some of the other pride festivals that i've been to around the world like barcelona yeah that's a good point actually thinking back to that earlier episode you did around circuit yeah i know yeah that was a that was a great episode i mean mainly because i was featured but yeah it was circuit is different because it's more intense It's usually, well, it wasn't as long as two weeks, but the type of people who attend circuit are what we call circuit queens or party goers. They're always cisgendered gay men. And they're there to party. That's all they really do. 
there is a bit of celebration about inclusion, but it's mainly like getting really fucked up. Okay. That, well, that was interesting to me. I just assumed that Pride would be similar to Circuit. and Yeah. What was good to see was there's more events that were for everyone. Yeah. In fact, I just heard it on the radio today on ABC that there was an event for scientists and the scientific community. and the As game. in the LGBT science? Yeah, I, th- I think so. From what I could work out, they had like pink coloured rain... Uh, lab coats? Lab coats, not rain coats. Although they would in Sydney because of La Nina. But yeah, they had like, they were talking about how, you know, LGBT scientists had advanced the profession and I guess the community that's created there. So... Pride is for everyone. It's not just for people who want to get really drunk and party hard. Yeah, because, I mean, the only experience of Pride I had was that one year that you took me along. Yes, that's right. We did. We went to the North Bridge, uh, the Perth Pride. And that's also a Pride event? Like Uh, Each city has their own Pride. Yeah. But the national one, I guess, is always held in Sydney. So Mm. Yeah, so you said there was like 350-odd events. How many of them did you go to? Well, I didn't get anywhere near that amount. I think you would be dead, basically. Oh, Hermione Granger with your little time turner. Oh, wouldn't that be camp? <laughs> yes, that would be really cool. In fact, we should have done a Harry Potter themed. We should have got the um, LGBT scientists to get onto that. Yeah, exactly. That would be a discovery and a half. Absolutely. I did 11 events. No, 12, actually. I just counted them. So I did, and try not to laugh at some of the names because they're ridiculous. Do we need a sense of these or? I don't think so, but maybe we can put like a bleep. Okay, so I did uh, Resurrection, Thick and Juicy. (laughs) I did an unofficial boat party. I did the official after party, Domain Dance Party, Candyland Double XL, Homo XL, (laughs) Ivy Pool Party, the Bondi Beach Party, the March on the Harbour Bridge, Rainbow Republic, and then Finale. Rainbow Republic. Jeez, these sound like Mario Kart destinations. You know what <laughs> like, they actually do? IV Bridge, Rainbow Republic. <laughs> IV Bridge, yeah. IV Drip, I think is what people were on at the end of that night. But yeah, so we did a lot. And a lot of people commented that we did a lot as well. And I should say I, I went with, you know, my ex-partners. So we booked the trip together and we did it together. I must say, like, as someone that's close to you, quite a few people message who follow you on socials and they're like, oh, is Jordan back with his exes? Yeah, I got that a lot in Sydney. And you know what? There are some people in Sydney that listen to the podcast. I don't know if you ever looked at the cities, but it trends quite well over there. Mm. And I had a few people coming up to me at the event saying, oh, I listen to the podcast, which was really cool. But they did also ask that question. Yeah, I guess I don't have a solid answer for you. We booked the trip as a trio and we always intended to do it as a trio. And we did it. Are you still broken up? You know, it's a complicated situation. We went through the breakup. That 100% happened. I was honest about that. We have some form of relationship at the moment. I don't think it has a label. The most I can give you is there's a lot of love and respect there and we're continuing to spend time together. Is it an official thruple? No, probably not. But I think we're just enjoying each other at the moment. And I guess our relationship has always worked best when we haven't tried to label it. So, yeah, I guess that's my answer. Was it difficult being around them all the time? Not at all. No? Probably the opposite. It was fantastic and we had a great time. We didn't have any arguments and we were always on the same page when it came to celebrating, you know, pride and attending the events. You would have seen on, you know, socials that we like to theme our costumes together. We like to have like 
kind of a thread or a color that runs through all of us. So yeah, it's more fun when you can, when there's more people to celebrate and enjoy. And we did some cool costumes this year. Some were the best ones that we'd done. So I was very happy with that. Yeah. And I I guess it just highlights that you're celebrating pride and, you know, that in itself is more powerful than any potential issues outside of. Yeah. It's very unifying in a lot of ways for the community, but within our, you know, relationship as well. It's, you know, the mood in Sydney was so hard to describe. It was so joyous. I remember when I first arrived, I was walking down Oxford Street. By the way, the weather was fantastic, like kind of 25, 30, sunny, not humid. It's weird for Sydney. I know. It was just crazy. Maybe there is like a gay god after all. I don't know. A gay god? What would he look like? Mm, Probably in a miniskirt and a crop top. (laughs) His hair would be fabulous, like Jonathan Van Ness from Queer Eye. Poseidon, that Greek god with like the the Yeah, just like a roided up daddy. (laughs) Um, no, the mood was fantastic. I was walking down Oxford Street, which is the main kind of gay arterial street in Sydney, and people were just laughing, like, I'm not even joking, dancing, because you have so many gay men and women from all over Australia. You know, we have friends in Brisbane and Melbourne, and Perth was so well represented. I'm not joking, in a space of 50 metres, like, there might be two or three or four people calling out my name and I'd be running like all over the street um, saying hello to people from Melbourne, people from Perth. Like it just felt so unifying. So, you know, that's a lot of events you went to, but what else would you do throughout the day? Well, your day usually starts at around 11 or 12 because the event from the previous night like goes for a long time. So you usually wake up at lunch, you have your first meal, You might catch up with some friends for coffee or maybe even head back to bed if it was like a really big night. And then you kind of get kickstarted around 4 or 5 p.m. You do your first event or your pre-party and then a second event usually starts between 9 and 11 p.m., like your night event, and that will usually go until 3 or 4 a.m. And then you have an option for an after party. Uh, Or some people just keep going and just go straight to brunch the next day. That is shocking. Yeah. There's a lot of pre and after parties in Sydney, which is kind of fun. You know, Pride or World Pride looks different for everyone. Obviously, we did a lot of the events and the parties, so ours was skewed towards that kind of nighttime engagement. But there was plenty of people. Well, the boys brought their children along as well, so they were in the hotel. And, you know, we did lots of stuff with them during the day as well. So we went to the aquarium, we went to Hyde Park, we went to places around Sydney, they looked at the harbour. So some of us would sleep, some of us would take care of the kids and that's kind of how we made it kind of family friendly as well. Did you meet any cool people or like celebrities? Yes, I did. Now, I don't know how many of these you'll know. Carson Kressley was on Queer Eye for The Straight Guy. Oh yeah, he was also on Big Brother once. Yeah, and RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, I met him, Andy Cohen from What Happens Live in America. That is a huge show that recaps reality TV. Was there any like super crazy stories or things that you did? Look, there's a lot, some of which I probably can't talk about <laughs> on this podcast. But one of the coolest parties is the closing party at the end of every Sydney Mardi Gras. And it's called Finale. And it's at Home Night Club, which is one of the biggest clubs in Sydney. And that party always goes from the last hours of Sunday night all the way through to lunchtime on Monday morning. So this year it 
it started at 10 p.m. on Sunday and it finished at Monday at noon. So it's called Finale and then the last two or three hours are called Morning Glory. Oh, my God. And I did it this year. I did it on a You did Morning (laughs) Glory? No. (laughs) You mean you had it? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, we did it this year, like at the last minute. Was there like a big act, like a, a singer or...? Yeah, we did it on a whim this year. One of the boys wanted to go out and I didn't really feel like it. But as soon as I left, I had FOMO and I headed out for like six hours of dancing. And yeah, the light, you know, when the light kind of comes up in the sky, when you're walking home, you go, oh my God, what have I done? But it was just one of those moments where it was like, you know what, this is the last chance to celebrate. And there's thousands of people in Sydney. We're here for a reason. So yeah, we did it. And it was, it was really cool. Even when the sun was coming up, it was kind of fun. Yeah, unreal. So, I mean, it just sounded like a two weeks full of fun celebration. But bit of a personal question to you. What are your thoughts on Pride, Pride events and, and Pride people? Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot, actually. I think it definitely has a place in the gay community, or at least in my life. I think I said before when we did the circuit episode, I was kind of torn between deciding if it was a healthy or an unhealthy thing for gay people to experience. And I guess I'm still seesawing between the two options. I think that it's a good way to release tension that you might build up during your life Mm. and you have these two weeks of partying and it's just like, yeah, I can do this and I feel alive and it feels great. But there is a bubble kind of created around that world of circuit or pride or whatever festival you're in that it's not reality. It's not your reality when you go back to your home city. I mean, the amount of exposure you have to gay people and gay culture is incredible, but you can't live it every day. There's just not enough gay people in Australia, at least, to kind of congregate and create that energy. So you kind of go through this like come down when you come home because all of that excitement evaporates and you're left feeling a little bit kind of blue, a bit mm. mellow because you have this taste of what it feels like to be surrounded by so many gay people and so much energy, but it is exhausting. So it is kind of when you come home, you need to come home, you need to relax. You have to go back to work, can't keep partying every day, yep. every night. Well, it's like that adage of the post-holiday depression, right? Like exactly. It, everyone comes back from a holiday. It's like, shit, I've just had this amazing time, but I've come back and no one can really relate to what I've been through. Yeah. And the world just ticks on. Yeah. And then you have to compare or will you start to compare your everyday life to this holiday, this vacation, which of course your life can't be that exciting. So I guess when I think about it, you have to take it for what it is. Uh, when you're there, you engage with it. And when you come back, try not to be too sad about it. The people who attend Pride are really interesting. I think it's skewed towards the events you attend. And, you know, we attend the events that are very party party. You know, they they can be quite showy. You know, their people are there to what I call peacock, to show off their, their bodies, their faces. I mean... Yeah. There's a lot of um, plastic surgery. There's a lot of Botox, fillers, and, you know, a lot of steroids as well. I mean, at Bondi Beach Party, oh God, I would say maybe 40 to 50% of people at that party were on anabolic steroids. And you could tell those bodies were ridiculous. Mm, I, I had mean, a few of my straight friends see some of the pictures on your Instagram of 
people that you're partying with and they're just like, oh, my God. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, we go to the gym. Sometimes we go to the gym together and, you know, there's always one or two kind of big, beefy guys in the weight section. You kind of look at them and go, wow, that's, you know, that's like a beast. Kind of get them from every gym in the world, put 12,000 in Bondi and that's what it looked like. Um some of the stuff you just look at it and you go, wow, that is too much. Yeah, That's I definitely crazy. couldn't do that environment. And I guess I guess my point is there's a lot of comparison that happens. I don't know if everyone feels this way, but I do. And I know that a lot of the people that I um, spoke to felt like if you have any insecurities that are living in the recesses of your mind, it's going to bubble up, particularly around body image or body dysmorphia. Because the people who are peacocking or at the events, to put it bluntly, they're 10 out of 10. You know, they have either been gifted an amazing body, face or whatever you're looking at, or they've achieved it in an unnatural way. Um, So it's hard not to compare yourself to those people. But I don't truly believe them to be real. They don't look like that. You know, every day of the year, they might be hitting the gym really hard or, you know, I know some people that went on a crazy diet. I saw stories on people's Instagrams of them eating, you know, um, paleo or um, high protein diets, Mm. not eating carbohydrates. There's no like, you know, those people, they might be using things to make them look better, but they're not eating like junk food. They go through, you know, a lot of pain and suffering to look that way. And I guess for them, it's worth it. But it's hard not to compare yourself, but you just have to put that barrier between me and them because, yeah, otherwise I guess it will bring out a lot of things within my within my mind that, that is a little bit upsetting. I'm going to throw a question out there and some people might potentially get insulted. Is there a culture within the gay community around that aesthetic look, the use of steroids, Botox? Yeah, definitely. That's not offensive to me. Well, the thing is, the gay community is so heterogeneous. And my experience as a gay man living in Perth, you know, going to Sydney and, you know, Melbourne a lot of the time is I live in that portion of the community that those themes, those ideas are quite prevalent. So, yes, I would say there is pressure to look a certain way, for your body to look a certain way, and kind of also for you to act a certain way. A lot of those people are really sassy and they say things that can be kind of mean and, you know, it gets some attention. So, yes. Where do you think that comes from? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I think the circuit community, and as I said, circuit's like a type of festival that is purely focused on that party method or party lifestyle. I think it probably is enhanced by that, but I don't have any other answers for you. Maybe I should suggest it to my psychologist and get someone qualified. Yeah, well, I was going to ask, like, how do you, in that environment, either detach yourself from it or put a boundary in place to make sure that you don't get sucked too much into... Mm, Yeah, it's hard. I've thought about that before. I guess a part of me, part of my mind is going, well, you're in here for a reason. Lean into it. This experience is fun. And then another part of my mind, probably a less quiet one, is saying this isn't real and these people don't always have your best intentions at heart. One of the reasons that I spoke about that book earlier, the 10% Happier, the meditation book, I was reading that throughout the festival and it's really engaging. But one of the reasons that I couldn't stop reading it is because I had some really deep themes that I identified with and, you know, it talked about this inner voice within your head 
you know, in pop culture, at least RuPaul's Drag Race, it's called like self-saboteur. But, you know, that, that was in my head at the time. And I guess I was reading this book to kind of work out what I could do about it. And to uh, kind of also remind myself that this festival, the World Pride Festival, is not reflective of my life and it will never be. And, yeah, that's kind of all I have. I'm still oscillating a lot around the World Pride and the things that it brings up within me. Living through your Instagram stories and hearing your stories today, it it gives me a sense of if I were ever in that situation – I don't know if I'd enjoy it, obviously not being gay, but the pressure of being within that circle, having to look a certain way, I don't think I personally could cope with that environment. Mm. What sort of things would you find difficult? I think I'd just feel so anxious and insecure about the way that I look compared to other people, almost to the point where if I wanted to be a, feel a part of this group, I'd need to aesthetically be up to their standard. Mm, there is a lot of that pressure, whether it's um, overt or covert. Yeah, it definitely is there. I can attest to that. So, yeah, you you probably would struggle. I mean, what did you, what kind of thoughts came into your head when you were viewing, you know, my stories or other people's stories that you saw from World Pride? I think the, the, the first thought that would come through my head was like, I, I don't have the look to be in Jordan's position. Mm. Like, I, I don't have the ripped body. I don't have the clean-cut hair and the face to be able to be a part of that group. It almost just looks so, not fake, but just a distant, yeah, I'll never be at that level, so why should I consider going? I guess, I mean, you're not wrong. A lot of it is fake. As I said before, these people spend a lot of time, effort and money to look a certain way. So, yeah, the pressure is there. But as I said before, you know, you only saw the events that I showed you from World Pride. There are a lot of other events that are for lesbians, trans women, ugly people families. like me. No, not ugly people. <laughs> and I guess, you know, I was giving you a lens of Mardi Gras, even from the parties that we went to. You know, my friends, they look a certain way. I showed you an, an avenue, you know, a glimpse of that party, but it wasn't. You know, there was 12,000 people at Bondi. Of course, there's some people that are overweight or um, maybe different ethnicities or, you know, they didn't have the perfectly styled hair. But I guess I tend to hang around with that group. So, but I mean, I mean, that it is what it is. But I mean, talk to me if you're able to about some of the other insecurities. Do you feel them day to day or is it just when you're presented with someone that looks different from you? Yeah, I, I, I think... With that insecurity, like the, the example of last weekend, I was at another music festival, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was with all my friends and, you know, I'm really attractive, good-looking friends. And I can't help but think that every festival I go to, there's this wave of anxiety that sort of comes within me um, around, you know, my insecurities and you know, why am I here? Like there's so many beautiful people at this festival I, I just I feel so insecure every time I go out to in Perth or at a festival physically because you know people in Perth are so attractive, both men, both women, and I think that's where I really struggle with dating is because when I'm in an environment where it's that the pressure is on aesthetically, I, I just feel myself crumble and pull away, and immediately my coping reaction is just to latch on to my friends. Okay, I understand that. I feel the same way as well. And 
Do you feel like your identity isn't attached to the group and that somewhat dilutes the feeling of not feeling enough or not looking a certain way? Yeah, I guess it's just, it's my safety blanket and it shoots me in the foot whenever I'm trying to approach new people or Mm. when I meet people at a festival because my closest group of friends are all females who are very attractive. True. You do have a lot of good looking female friends. Can I ask you a question? Do you ever at one stage in the festival or the event kind of reject the feeling that you went there to hook up anyway and that you just wanted to have fun with your friends? Do you ever use that thought to kind of detach those negative thoughts from yourself? Yeah. When I go to festivals, I go to enjoy the music and be with my friends, but I almost feel this pressure that going to a festival, you know, you should be hooking up with people or you you want that festival romance. Mm -hmm. And like I've been to what, seven festivals, eight festivals this summer. Wow. And that hasn't really happened at all, which I'm okay with, but there are times where I'm there and I feel like I should be, or like I'm looking at other people hook up in the Mm -hmm. crowd and, you know, everyone's sort of high on life and really enjoying it. And I I must admit on the weekend, it got to a point where I was like, I don't really enjoy being here. And I ended up leaving early. Oh, really? So it got, wow, it got that bad. Mm, I think that, that insecurity or that, that voice in the back of my head started to perk up and it became stronger and it got to the point where I was almost hit with like sobriety or reality. Ouch. And I was like, what am I doing here? Like, yeah, the music's great. My friends are awesome, but do I really need to be in this environment where I just don't feel like I fit in? Yeah, that's a really hard feeling to overcome. What did you do when you got home? Did you use like self-soothing? Were you watching TV, eating chocolate or just kind of feeling shit for a while? Um, well, we actually just went back and I just hung out with my friends and like I, I, I must admit I love spending time with my friends and I'm very grateful for them and being around them just helps me forget reality sometimes. And You know, my psychologist calls that detached self-soothing what I do. I don't know if it applies to you. Can you expand on that? It's when you use distraction methods to detach what you're feeling. So a prime example that I've used before is if I'm feeling uncomfortable or stressed, I pick up my phone and go immediately into an app which takes me to a different place. But you can also use it when binge watching Netflix or just using something, a strategy that's outside of the realm. So Let's say the example is you feel shit when talking to the opposite sex or you're not getting attention, so you just dive into your friends and talk about unrelated stuff. Yeah, I, 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 I definitely resonate with that. I think for me my biggest coping strategy is my social life. Like I, I said at the start of the episode, I spent, what, two weeks of just really quality time with people in my life, but I'm almost I, – I think I've just filled that time because I didn't want to – one, just being on my own or going through the motions of going through dating and talking to members of the opposite sex. It's almost like if I just fill my time with the people I care about and my friends and that takes me away from that reality that I feel like I need to be facing at this stage. Yeah, that sounds like a, yeah, a difficult thought to have. I should just do heroin. No way. No, that's do not, not where we're going. Do heroin. I guess if I could ask something even more personal, what are your predictions for your dating life? You know, the idea that we're sold, you know, living in Perth or Australia is that you meet someone at the age of between 20 and 30, you get married. For a woman, you have to, you know, you basically have to have kids before mid-30s. 
you create this nuclear family, you get a mortgage, a house with a white picket fence, you move out to the suburbs or that dream doesn't even exist for me really. So I've got my own explanation to that. But as someone who's 28 now, yeah, you know, how do you feel about that? Does that, do you have that pressure on you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like what you described just there has just always been that overarching goal for me. You know, like I'd, I'd love to have kids one day. I'd love to have a family. I think I have an amazing life right now. I wouldn't change it for the world. But, you know, the long-term goal is to settle down and just have that emotional connection with a significant other. Mm. And I guess we're sold that idea in kind of Hollywood movies, those like rom-coms, even sitcoms, TV series. You know, at some point, the main character finds their person. They settle down. Sometimes it's in a really romantic way. Other times it can be in like an insidious way where it just kind of appears or it's always been there. But I think that puts a lot of pressure on, you know, young people. Yeah, I think my issue is that, you know, with Hollywood and all those stories is I almost expect my story to live to that potential. Like I'm very excited to meet my forever person because I think they're going to be amazing. But me having that knowledge or that label on it already almost sets that expectation too high for whoever that person may be. So whenever I'm dating or, you know, whenever I'm interacting with someone, it's either, yes, you're amazing, you're going to be that person, or "Mm, you're great, I like spending time with you, but this story isn't what I expected, so you're probably not that person. Yeah, I understand that as well. And I mean, I know I'm coming back to the book that I'm reading again, but it's it talks about living in the moment and trying to take those expectations away. Um, you know, there's a quote in there that I've heard before and it says, you know, when you've got one foot in the past and one foot in the future, you're pissing in the present. <laughs> and, you know, it's pretty crude, but it's true. Like if you're always living in the future or thinking about the future, then you're never fully being in the present and that is going to taint the present into potentially a negative light. And it's the same for people that can't stop thinking about the past as well when I've been there before. You know what? I'm going to give you this book and it's going to solve all your problems. You're going to reach Nevada. And if not, I will grab that heroin syringe and just... I don't know where you've got the fucking heroin (laughs) idea from. We've never spoken about it Cocaine bear? Yeah, yeah. Do the cocaine bear. You'll be okay. (laughs) You'll be living in the now for a couple (laughs) of days. I mean, I don't, this is, this is really interesting. This conversation has been very special to me, but I haven't got any advice because, you know, I struggle with the same feelings and thoughts that you do. I think we need therapy. Again, we've crammed a lot into the last five minutes of this episode and you've left me again with a lot to reflect on, but Yeah, that's just my sort of thoughts, seeing a story and reflecting on some of the incidents that I've come across in my life the last few weeks. Yeah, basically taking my story and making it about yourself, our whole relationship. (laughs) You nailed it there. (laughs) But thank you for sharing that. It was very personal and, you know, I feel like I understand you a bit more now. And I think a lot of people that listen to this podcast can identify with the expectations that, you know, Western society places upon us so Mm. and well thank you for sharing your experiences of mardi gras and for coming back alive although debatable (laughs) thank you for sharing your shirtless photos for the whole world to see 
But no. Well, I look forward to unmuting you from Instagram now. (laughs) You know what? I think a lot of people have (laughs) muted me and that's okay. It's just two weeks. They'll probably keep it though. (laughs) But we will be exploring some of these themes and ideas in the coming episodes because I think they're really important. And I do have a special guest in mind that we'll be bringing onto the show to talk about the type of expectations that women face in society. So you can look forward to that when I book the session. And how ironic that today's International Women's Day. So Yes, we're recording on International Women's Day. So Shout out to all the ladies. Well, all the ones that won't date you. <laughs> well, I'm going to leave with that little nugget of wisdom and say toodle-doo. Ciao, ciao. Ciao. <laughs>